Batman. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, no, Dang. Batman. Look what you have done. Not Batman. He's <laughs> trying to remember that old Kool-Aid Dane Cook joke. He's like, oh, no, Kool-Aid man. Look what you've done to my beautiful living room. <laughs> <laughs> We're quiet. We seem kind of quiet. Oh, we got the windows open, so there's probably let me make an adjustment yeah, here. Turn you the ready? volume up a bit. That better? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got the windows open. It's a beautiful, like, 60-some-odd degree day outside in Montana. <sighs> got yelled at all day today. It was fun. Doesn't it sound nice outside? You got little kids playing. The wind's, like, blowing in. Yeah, feel that breeze. Feel that nice little breeze. Everything's going to be okay, team. I know that by the time this podcast airs, you know, a week or so from now, the coronavirus has once again come to an end and our life has returned to normal. And uh, sure. Our economy didn't take a massive fucking shit. It's nice to have dreams. Yeah. And all of them. You know what I've been thinking about recently? And then we'll get into the show. Uh, being essential employees, I feel like when we would grow up and there would be a school closing, closing, a school closure due to snow in every county except Rutherford County. (laughs) I'd be sitting there and I'm like, I just want to stay home. I don't want to fucking go anywhere. You know? Yeah. That is definitely what it feels like every morning. I'm like, what? I don't want to be essential. (laughs) I don't want to be essential. And for all our non-essential people out there, you know, uh, God bless. I, you know, I hope you're doing okay, but. The view from the essential people is like I get a few days off work and then I'm like, this could just be every day. And yeah, I, could, I still only get We my, could release daily podcasts. I still only get my two days off and that's it. But, <laughs> fuck it. That's hard. <laughs> we're not dwelling on the virus. That's not why you guys come to us. We're not scientists. We are here today. No, we're going to talk about something worse. Yeah. Welcome to the nightmare box, bitches. <laughs> Presenting mistakes were made. Presenting yet another edition of the two, 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 star, 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 two, 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 days, days, days. I don't know why we don't have that as a drop already. We need to get on that shit. Oh, well, that's your fault. You should do it. I don't, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out drops. It's a goal for the year. I figured out how to get sounds onto my computer, but I, I without a soundboard, I'm having a lot of difficulties figuring out how I'm going to put them in the show. Yeah, I could edit them in and post, but yeah. th- That would be a nightmare for post-editing. Because I do the Tuesday episodes. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. It's <laughs> not our pitch meeting. This is a two-star Tuesday. And uh, in this edition of the two-star Tuesday, we're talking about a film that should have died in a pitch meeting. And that movie is 2015's Demonic. It's pretty bad. Yeah. We're going to try to do. We're the new and improved two-star Tuesday crew. I'm going to try. We're going to try. I Look at yelled, the positives. I got yelled at a lot today, though, so... My bad in advance. Yeah, and this is already more words than I've spoken all day because I've been locked in the apartment going batshit. So we <laughs> might go off on this one, but that's all right. It's a beautiful day outside. Gonna howl at the moon. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but Demonic 2015. IMDb score 5.3. Rotten Tomatoes 33% critic, 21% audience. How do you feel about it? The beautiful, the effervescent Ooh. Kristen Pennington, my my beautiful fiance and soon to be Miss Bloom. I, I didn't introduce either one of us. <laughs> this is the beautiful, the effervescent Kristen Pennington, and I am Brett Bloom. Uh, no descriptor. Maybe between that twenty-one and thirty-three. I think I'm. I, I almost. I might be sitting on I, that twenty-one. I might be going twenty. I might be like, <laughs> "Fuck your extra one percent. You didn't deserve it." Yeah, I really, I don't think it's the worst one we've ever done, but I really did not like it. I mean, it's no stitches. (sighs) 
<laughs> Where are we sitting at for you? Because Stitches has been the one you've hated the most. It may still did, be the one I've hated the most. You hated really Stitches hated more Stitches. than Dynamic? Demonic. I can't speak Demonic. Dynamic. I've had zero conversation. <laughs> My face muscles aren't working. Um, in literal, <laughs> I disliked it worse. Yes, yeah, Stitches would probably be like, that was just a truly terrible movie. But yeah. Stitches if was so... If you were so... forced at gunpoint to watch one of these movies again. I'd probably do this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Stitches was one of, at least like its redeeming quality for me as it was so ridiculous and so over the top that there were moments we could laugh at. Yeah, it was making fun of itself a lot. Yeah, and this movie, I simultaneously felt like I had been watching it for ten years. Yeah. But when we paused it, I was like, how are we so far in and nothing has happened? <laughs> how are we 20 minutes away from the end and, and nothing, nothing has, has occurred? Ah, damn it. We'll get into it. We'll get into the bads. Trust me, there's lots of ugly things to say. We, we'll get to them and we'll yeah. try to say them nicely. So, so if for you're almost out, two yeah. straight hours, I thought we were still in the intro of the movie. <laughs> yeah. But this was produced by three separate entities. I will name them in order of ones that I've not heard of to... A knock-knock joke, not a knock-knock joke, but a joke that I've already got written so that, you, you know, it'll be spontaneous and everybody will laugh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the lesser known is I Am Global. Couldn't really find a whole lot on I Am Global. Then there was First Point Entertainment, which I believe we've done a couple of two stars that were First Point Films. And then there was Dimension Films. And who runs Dimension? Well, I know who used to run Dimension Films. Right now it's his buddy, you know, his good old little brother. But, um... At the time of this film make film being made, the person in charge of Dimension Films was Harvey Weinstein. And this, I don't know about how you feel, because I, I know you were more involved in the film industry uh, than I've ever been or probably ever will be. Um, is this the closest you've ever come to being raped by Harvey Weinstein? Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to imagine that like this film was like the film version of the description of Weinstein's dick and all the trials, where they're like, he has no testicles and it looks like a burn victim. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of how this film left me feeling. Pretty bad. Pretty unsatisfied. Pretty unsatisfied. Um, I had lots of jokes that I'll leave out of the podcast that I made last night while we were watching this fucking thing. Appreciate but you. You're welcome. Uh, the budget for this film was $3 million. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Somebody coughed up that much money. Oh, no. Yeah, $3 million. Technically a low-budget film. You know what we could do for $3 million? We've made films better than this for $25. This is bad. I want... I want to sit down with the Weinstein that is still in charge, the good Weinstein, and be like, hey, man, can you give me $3 million? Uh, but this thing grossed worldwide $4.5 million, so technically, yep. I think it was yeah, I think it was writing on the back of The Conjuring, so it was like around that time, and it was like, get out a ghost movie, and then that's, that's what they did. So they made a $1.5 worldwide gross, and now it's on Netflix. So if they can do it, Kristen Pennington, as has been our mantra throughout the two stars, then we can do it. If they made Zombievers. I, too, can bore audiences across America. <laughs> we can figure it out. They got funding. It, it can't be that difficult, okay? Like, I don't know whose dick I got to suck. Harvey's in jail, so. <laughs> <laughs> gotta find a new one. <laughs> gotta find a new dick. Um, but this movie, uh, like so many of our other two stars, a little lesson that we've we've kind of noticed while we're... Hey, plane. Um, another little thing that we've kind of picked up on as we've been doing these podcasts, by the way, episode 101. You're welcome, bitches. <laughs> um, is the writer and director, same person. 
This was written and directed by Will Cannon. Maybe don't. Maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. Uh, because it was produced by my boy, my favorite dude, James Wan, <laughs> who did the Saw 1. And the, he did Saw 1 and Saw 3. Arguably the best Saw films in the entire fucking franchise. And the frustrating thing is the trailer actually looked kind of compelling. Well, I've, I've got that in my goods. I'm gonna, not the trailer, but kind of where we're going with that, because I want to discuss both the trailer and the way this was shot, mm-hmm. and I've, well, we'll get into it here in a second. Um, but our character list, I've, I've not seen, except for the last one that I'm going to do, any of these films, so I can't really talk to them, but I've got the, the titles and the characters they played, and these were all like their lead roles before this, or after, whatever. Uh, but you've got Dr. Elizabeth Klein, the psychiatrist lady who shows up for God knows what reason. Uh, her name is Maria Bello, or Bello, probably Bello. She's not Hispanic. Uh, she was Lil in Coyote Ugly. My older sister loved that movie. Never seen it. I know my mom references it when she wants to dance on tables. So that's the kind of personality my mom has. But I've never seen Coyote Ugly. Do you remember Lil? Uh, yeah, I remember the movie. I've seen the movie a couple of times. Um, you remembered the actress, but you couldn't remember what it was from. I, I mean, I've only seen it two yeah. or three times. I haven't seen it in years. Um, yeah, it's not a bad movie, to be honest. I mean, it's not like up in my even top 20 favorite films by any means, but it's a an interesting movie, an interesting take on that lifestyle, Yeah, for sure. Cool. <laughs> um, then you've got Detective Mark Lewis. Great names, by the way. Uh, while I'm coming up with good things to say about this, Elizabeth Klein and Mark Lewis are like old school, like noir names. Uh, but he was played by Frank Grillo, and I'm going with the double L meaning Y because that sounds like an Italian name, so Grillo I'm going for. Um, Grillo. Grillo. He was Brock Rumlow in Captain America movies. In the Captain America movies. Um, I guess he was some SWAT team dude. Again, never saw the Captain America movies. Don't know who the fuck he was. Um, <laughs> Michelle, who played the girlfriend, was played by Cody Horn. And she was in a small number that makes girls around the world cream themselves called Magic Mike. She played Brooke in Magic Mike. Never seen Magic Mike. I have seen Magic Mike once. Yeah. And now that you say that, I think I do remember that. <laughs> then you've got John, the boyfriend to Michelle and Survivor at the end of the film slash beginning of the film. Uh, Dustin Milligan, he was he is in the TV show Shits Creek. He plays Ted Mullins. Nice. Uh, Brian, Michelle's ex-boyfriend, is played by Scott Meklozitsk, M-E-C-H-L-O-W-I-C-Z. It's the Jews. It's not me. I don't know how to pronounce that word. It's a lot of consonants. Um, he was Scott Thomas, the lead character in Euro Trip, which was one of those fun, drunk American Pie type films. It is interesting that most of these actors have had actually well-known mm-hmm. like work. Yeah. And you had Jules. She was our, our occult bimbo. Um, she was played by Megan Park. She was in a movie I'd not heard of, but she'd been in a couple of movies that I'd not heard of that all seemed like chick flicks. Uh, she was in the movie What If, which I've never seen. She played a character named Dahlia. I like Dahlia, the name. Never seen What If. And then we get down to the one that I do know, my boy, Donnie. Donnie's our Asian dude character. That's how I'm going to refer to him. He's played by Aaron Yu, and you might know Aaron Yu as Chewie. 
from the Friday the 13th remake. The Asian character with the special bong who's super excited that they've got weed in a cabin, no fears. Would have never pegged that though because he looks completely different in yeah, this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he gets killed out in the boathouse with a screwdriver. If you've seen the Friday the 13th, go watch Chewie get killed. You'll have to skip this movie because that one scene, or those two scenes where Donnie is like bringing out the bong and they're like worshiping the bong, like, there she is, she's beautiful. And they like start kissing it and like, all that shit. Uh, and his screwdriver death. Both of those are better than this entire production we've got here. Uh, so, that out of the way, what is the plot to this film? God knows. <laughs> Moving on to the goods. <laughs> Um, it is very all over the place, so, um, it was kind of hard to keep up with this one, but as far as either of us could tell, um, so the main character, uh, John, who's dating Michelle, his mother apparently had gone into this old haunted house that's in Mm. the neighborhood that she grew up in with a bunch of friends, and, um... One of the girls that was in that group snapped and killed everybody, yeah. and John's mom uh, somehow managed to escape and got away. Uh, so John starts seeing visions of his mom in this house and like wants to, I guess, kind of figure out what it means. I'm assuming at this point his mother is dead. I, I, I was just getting ready to ask you that. I can't remember. I don't know that they ever address <laughs> it, but it, they very heavily imply it's the spirit of his mother, so yeah. she has to be dead. I don't think that they ever say what happened to her. Um so John and his girlfriend Michelle get together these half-assed paranormal investigators. <laughs> one of go. which is Michelle's ex-boyfriend. Yeah, one of which is Michelle's <laughs> ex-boyfriend to go check out this house, and they decide to, for whatever reason, break the sill and summon the demon, and shit goes down. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, they don't break the seal and summon the demon until like twenty minutes <laughs> before the, the film's end. Um, it is interestingly. Uh, like intermixed with footage from like all of the stuff that's happening in the house has already yeah. happened at the beginning of the movie. So you come into the film at the tail end after all the shit's gone yeah. down and it's a mixture of... John's alive. He's being interrogated by the detective and the psychologist and they found the hard drive footage and they're like kind of reeling that through as yeah. the story goes on. So along. it's a mixture of what happened, I'm assuming, the night before yeah. and the detectives trying to solve Could be the, case. the night before, could be the day before. Yeah. We'll get into it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a clunky plot for yeah. sure. It's it's a little <laughs> little all over the place. And then what happens at the end? I don't want to give away the end. We're giving away all the movie. I'm gonna yeah. shit all over this. All right, cool. If you guys want to if you guys want to watch it, here's your warning. There's your brief synopsis. And uh, from here on out, spoilers. You know that you've entered the land. I'm sorry, you've made. <laughs> we don't it this ever far. give away the ending I, of the synopsis. I, though. I know we don't, but we always talk about it. Neither the good or the bads, and so. I, I forgot that. I need to establish better ground rules. I need drops. Yeah. So, diving into the goods. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Help me. All right. Um, Kristen has made a promise to down one beer and then I'm gonna try. go into the second one. So I'm going to try real hard. Here we go, my love. Um, We're going to be all right. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Just pretend it all is happening in your mind. So, I'll start with kind of... Um, I've got two that I feel like are a little more major and then a couple of just like okay. cheesy side ones. So I'll start with my cheesy side ones. Um, so they find um, a music box, which I'm assuming is in yours. That's, yep. 
Um, it says, gotta love a music box, <laughs> exclamation point. And it's kind of lame and also kind of cool at the same time. Yeah. Like, it's really cool that every time they touch the music box, it just plays, like, the, like, creepy mm -hmm. music as she spins around and she keeps pointing at the same thing, and that's kind of neat because yeah. they don't... I'm a sucker for things like that. Like, weird music box things kind of remind you of, like, a girl's childhood. Simultaneously, they remind you of your grandmother. So, like, I like little music boxes. I like old ceramic dolls, as uh, the viewers can see over the top of my head. We've got the dolls. Um, I, there's something about, like, that antique feel, but it still is, like, a younger... I, I like that dichotomy. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, I, I like that the music box... Is kind of this creepy element that's in the house, but it's not like super overplayed. Like a lot of the time, people want to use like stuff like that or like jack in the boxes or whatever yeah. as like these hyper intensely creepy things, and they're like a little like too cliche. much. Yeah, yeah, it is too like cliche a lot of the time. And like the music box is basically just leading them to the circle where the seance is, and how they get there is kind of cheesy. Like he's oh, she's pointing to the rug, but not that rug. It's the rug in a different room, and they yeah. all like. I don't buy that he put that together that way, but... Mm -hmm. Well, he's a demon. Well, he's not at that point in the movie. They we never know when he became a demon. That's in my bads. We'll get to it. <laughs> um, <coughs> but anyway, so yeah, like I like the use of the music box to kind of move them into yeah. the little seance area. And then the seance scene had some cheesy moments for sure, but it was kind of neat. Like I liked... Because um, that's usually a thing, like when you're gathered holding hands around a seal that you can't break the seal yeah. or you know whatever is trapped in the seal becomes free so i, I kind of liked like the urgency of don't let go of each other's hands mm -hmm. and like everybody desperately trying to fight it and then there's that one cheesy jump scare that causes them to break their hands which is kind of silly well, it's like he's it's his mom right asking to reach out for her and like so it's like that strange i know i need to keep holding this hand but there's everything i want right now you know well she doesn't tell him to um take her hand she tells him to let go which is like an interesting play yeah. in my opinion because he's been clinging to i'm guessing like the spirit of mm -hmm. his mother or whatever and can't seem to get over it and she's saying it's time to let go you need to let go yeah. and there is kind of this implication of um it having like a double meaning does she mean let go of me does she mean let go of the yeah. hand and then you see the demon's face and he lets go of the hand you know out of fear but like the whole seance seems kind of neat i liked like when they started the dust in the room on the floor mm -hmm. visibly like ripples and like i like that little play with him and his mom and stuff so it, it is it could have been done a little bit better i don't like the use of jump scares for the sake of jump scares like yeah. that bugged me a bit and it's cheap it's a game it's a ploy <laughs> yeah and the the use of the music box to get them into that room mm -hmm. should have been played a bit better it was a neat transition to force them into that room but instead it, of there just being a seal right there in the open on the floor and then well, it would have been up. better if it was under the original rug like if that was in the living room where the original yeah. thing is instead of up on the second it. story yeah yeah because then you would have just you would have been able to skip the oh it's not this room. It's like, why does that yeah. matter to the plot? But Yeah, like just have her in the actual room, yeah. point it out, and then it's a neat transition into them finding it versus, like I said, the seal just being out in the open. Mm -hmm. And then you, I don't know, you have that cool moment. It's under this like, rug. No. Step into it. Is it in the wall? No, it's underneath another rug. We're going to spend yeah. precious moments and money recording us moving a rug for no reason. Yeah, so I have my qualms with it, but it was a, a neat little set up in the seance was kind of a neat little yeah. scene.
no, I like the seance scene. I really like the music box, but I'd already went into why I <laughs> enjoy those tacky little cliches. It's the, I've used the dolls, or we've used the dolls ourselves, so I can't go against antique items. I, I really enjoy stuff like that. Like I like a nice creepy watch or a grandfather clock. Like, I like the older items like tend to have character of their own. So they've got have... a history to them. Yeah, like if you use like an old rickety tricycle, like one of those tiny ones for really little kids, that can be the scariest shit in the world if you light it right. <laughs> See, James Wan's other great film, Saw. <laughs> old rickety tricycle, you put a puppet on top of that bitch, and all of a sudden, scariest character in the movie is a puppet on a child's tricycle. Who <laughs> isn't even actually the bad guy. Yeah. Technically, kind of, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, my first good that I've got here is the documentary-esque intro. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. That was super cool. It, it looked like a Netflix, a Netflix documentary was about to kick off. and it's we watch. because you yeah. told me to remember that. <laughs> we, we watch a lot of Netflix documentaries, and typically if we can't get through the intro sequence, then we abandon ship on the documentary. And so this thing hooked me for like the first 15 minutes because I was like, did you see that sequence? It makes it look like I'm actually, like it gave me the same feeling almost and not to compare the two films but to compare the two intros um, to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you get the newspaper headlines and then the ta-ching! You know? Yeah, I liked that like play between like seeing all the research on the screen and then hearing like the reporter's voice on top of it being like, and then this happened and I'm like, they're investigating this and it was yeah like made you kind of feel like you were like real world like oh shit the neighbor killed somebody yeah (laughs) (laughs) like that was really really well done and it was about the only part of the whole film i know (laughs) i was kind of hoping we could linger on that how important to you are intros (laughs) i do think i mean i think that's true like the trying to at least get us to like the 35 minute mark on the goods before we we start trashing the shit out of this thing I mean, I do think that's true with books or television shows or movies or whatever. You know, those first 15 minutes yeah. are hypercritical. Um, that's what they tell you in all the writing classes, is it's all about that first sentence. If you can nail the first sentence and then nail the first paragraph, people trust you for the ride, even yeah. if it drastically drops off after that. If you can bang the first sentence, like the first couple of sentences in Orwell's 1984, where he's talking about it was a a warm muggy day in April when the clock struck 13 or whatever that line is. Once you are into the surrealism of that line, you're into the surrealism of the world that he's created for the rest of the book. Cause yeah. it's so distinct. And it's, it's, uh, in my bad. So we'll circle back around to it later, but I feel like the way that the intro for this movie was like that whole documentary style and it's like news clippings and reporters kind of reporting the news like sets up um the urgency of the event that happened Mm -hmm. without you having to actually be there so you get this sense of like something really terrible happened i've missed something i'm gonna learn about it yeah like all these people have died and it's like this serious thing and you kind of want to know more and see more and stuff so what um, do you mean you can buy a tiger for two thousand dollars (laughs) so yeah it it effectively without having to see the first original set of characters that die um sets up this intrigue about their deaths yeah um which is nice because i it's hard to make a character that you don't see what happened to them on screen um 
episodes now. That's a kid on a scooter. Oh, um, it's hard to when you have something bad happen to a character and it happens off screen and you don't really get to see any of it. It's hard to make that compelling. Yeah. And make people like kind of hang on that. So it is an effective way of killing off. I think what was it like six characters mm-hmm. that we never met and never knew anything about and make it interesting. Yeah. That's what I mean when I compare it to the Texas Chainsaw, is it it introduces, this is what's happened after the woman has escaped, but Mm -hmm. you don't know who's escaped, you just know something horrific has just gone down here. and you care. And you give a shit. And if they would have just stuck with that urgency, then I would not have also written down on my list that it left me with too high of an expectation, (laughs) because that is the nicest thing that I can say. (laughs) Mr. Will Cannon? <laughs> What's your next one, love? Um, I appreciate, though I don't think that it was well done. That <laughs> this is the goods. I know. I, I know. I, I'm trying to. <laughs> I appreciate, even though it wasn't well done. I, I mean, I think there's things to learn from this. Is the point, I guess. Like, that's I, what we're doing here. Yeah. I appreciate that the quote-unquote smart character in this movie was simultaneously the bimbo blonde. Like they established, yeah. Yeah. Like they established at the very beginning when they're doing like the little like, I guess brief introduction in the car where they show everybody on the camera that she is kind of the bimbo blonde. She's like, I'm the sexy one. Yeah. And then you get to the house and she is the. And Donnie goes, I want to put a baby in you. Yeah. And (laughs) and I pissed myself for (laughs) fifteen minutes. But um. She's the only character when they actually get to the house that has any information. To offer about the yeah. house. She has something to say about the lamp that's outside. She has something to say about the... Are we going to have to close these? <laughs> <laughs> she has something to say about the little circle that they find. So she's the only character that provides like actual, like factual knowledge. Yeah. And the rest of them are just kind of like, we're stumbling around in here. Um, she knows all about the left-hand path. Yes. We didn't do a trivia. Do you want to... We Oh, I don't have anything written down about it. Do but you like, have... do you want to give like a quick glimpse into what... You found out? Oh, um, so, Brett and I haven't fact-checked this. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a scene where um, Dr. Klein is, like, Googling what the left-hand path is, and supposedly, according to the trivia on IMDb, on her computer screen under the description is basically, like, a little gag being like, yeah, yeah this is plot twists or uh, plot spoilers for later in the film that we're going to reveal through dialogue. <laughs> Nobody's going to see this scene long enough to realize that's what this says or whatever. So I don't know if that's true or not, but go back to the scene if you've watched this movie where she Googles what the cult is and see if that's what her computer actually <laughs> says because that's kind of funny if that's true. <laughs> Left-hand magic for real, a thing that people believe in. I don't fuck with the occult. I don't want to know. Uh-uh. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just remembered that we didn't already bring that... Oh, no, you're fine. And um, I guess, speaking of the doctor, uh, that kind of circles back around. The doctor, I I guess, is also um, one of the other characters that's, like, trying to be sympathetic and trying to, like, pull out information and stuff. And she is also a female. So, in a weird way, I appreciate that the smart characters in this movie are the women. Well, most... Go ahead. Sorry. I don't think that it's established well enough to be believable, like, the... Jules, the character that is, like, the one that knows everything, is never at any point established how she knows the stuff or what she does or anything like that. So if there had been more character development on the front end, I would mm. have found it more believable. On the back end, it just sounds like she's regurgitating well, something I, she read. Yeah, what I really liked about the 
Dr. Klein uh, character is her motherly approach to this guy who's obsessed with his mother. You know, I thought that was a really interesting decision when she like gets down lower than him and almost like puts her head in his chest and is like, tell me what's going on. You know, like, like very motherly Mm -hmm. in the approach. There was a a, a real warmth there that we've seen in other films. What was the one? Was it the Bye Bye Man where the lady that played Trinity in the Matrix Mm -hmm. was the... Yeah, it, that one was better. <laughs> it reminded me of that quite a bit, where it was like, oh, this is, you know, you're you're dealing with a traumatized person, you're dealing with them in a realistic way. This is a person who's obsessed with their mother. Act like his mother, and you'll get him to open up. That was maybe the only real psychiatry angle that they go for, or detective angle, or any kind of real world, you know, professional angle that got taken in the film. But the motherly aspect was really cool to yeah. her character. So, yeah, I do, I do appreciate that. A female, two female characters anyway, or of the other characters, a bit more well-developed, but... We'll get to it. A bit to be desired. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next one. I'll save my concept notes for later. Um, I liked... The suicide by cop scene where Brian, for whatever reason, has kidnapped uh, Michelle and they wind up in this gas station and he's flipping out, freaking out. And uh, John is freaking out. and They're talking to each other on the mics. And then all of a sudden, Brian spins around with the radio like it's a gun and gets killed by the police officer. Um there are a lot of police mistakes that happen throughout this entire film. There's a lot of, they should have called their cop buddy uh, to figure out how to do different things. But the aspect of bringing like a real world thing where <clears throat> mentally uh, disturbed or disabled people uh, will reach into their pocket really fast to get the cop to shoot them. Um, that's not a thing you see in a lot of movies. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting throwing that in. I wish they would have milked it more. I wish they would have had a scene where, you know, Detective Lewis walks up on the body, realizes he just killed a man for holding nothing but a radio. But instead of him why linger on any moment? a dying man. Yeah. Where's she at? Where's she at? I know I just shot you seven times in the chest. <laughs> He's not even the one who kidnapped her, is what's funny. Yeah. Like, he was definitely just the fall guy. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the whole movie's a mess. What, <laughs> what you got, love? What's next? Oh, shit. It's a moderate, moderate plot twist. I do like the fact that, um, and this is where we'll spoiler alert the end, um... <laughs> John ends up being the demon. Um, (laughs) I knew that he was going to be the bad guy. That was easy to see from like a good ways away. Like you can tell like he's definitely the bad guy. Um, I didn't foresee that literal John was going to be dead already. And that was just a demon like taking his form. So that adds an interesting element. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not such a, Not such a brilliantly done plot twist that I couldn't see something was coming, but I did not. Uh, I mean, even they, even though they hint at the fact that the other girl hung herself, I did not put that together that he had already hung himself and yeah. that that was a demon. And follow your breadcrumbs, ladies and gentlemen. 
because uh, that's called a trick. Yeah, and I, I liked that when she goes back to see the footage, she's been talking to an empty chair this whole time. Like, this demon has just manifested a form for mm-hmm. them, and it's not really there. So, it, it could have been laid out a bit better. I did think that was kind of interesting, because I actually did not see that yeah. coming. Well, can, moving in from that, then, I'll move on to, to the next thing on my list, which is I really enjoyed the concept of the film. Which is what I say about a film when I did not enjoy the film. But I can see what they were initially trying to do. Um, despite all of its faults, you don't every day get a Saw-esque haunting film. Like, it's happening after the facts. It's more focused on police work, which kind of gives you this barrier of safety because we as Americans are until recently, have been trained to trust the police, that the police are going to make everything better. And uh, you want to trust the survivor of something traumatic. So, like, the the concept is sound, you know. It, it's a good idea for a film. And I, this is one of my bigger goods, I appreciate the contrast between the traumatic event that happened and the real-time events that are unfolding, like with Saw, for instance... Even if we didn't know what was happening when. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We'll Um, get to it. (laughs) Like with Saw, for instance, when really bad shit happens and then the cops go in to, like, investigate the scene, there's still this really real raw sense of danger that there's a trap that hasn't quite been triggered yet and this cop could end up dead any minute now. Because this is a very, like, dangerous scene. That's how you get Danny Glover in the first one with the shotguns on the ceiling. Yeah, so there's this this real sense of danger even when, like, the trap has already, like, kind of expired and the cops are trying to investigate it because you don't know if maybe something got missed. And with this... Like, it's a very interesting contrast that I don't know that I've ever seen in a movie. It's not That's Danny a... Glover. No, it's not Danny Glover. Um... I'm a racist. <laughs> it's the dude that was on Lethal Weapon. I forgot his name. <laughs> yeah. um, but in this movie, which I don't think I've ever seen that done before, in a haunting movie, I kind of appreciate the fact that we get the contrast of everything that happened to these teenage characters, I'm assuming the night before where they were in this house and all this weird shit was happening and they were seeing these spirits and there were no lights of any kind and everything was dark and everything was spooky. And then the cops come in with these big ass like lamps and light, yeah, and light the entire house. So it looks like it's daylight in the house and nothing about the house is creepy. Like no bad things Mm -hmm. happen while the cops are in the house. Like the house isn't remotely intimidating. The scariest, just a crime scene. Yeah. Like the quote unquote scariest thing that happens is when the cop initially discovers John who isn't actually dead. And then he like falls down the stairs and it's just kind of a little like jump, like, Oh God, that, that person's still alive. And other than that, it's literally just a crime scene. And I've never seen a, like, quote-unquote haunted house before lit up completely. Mm-hmm. And everything that was scary an hour or, you know, a night before is no longer scary. So it's kind of taking away the demons that have been hiding in the shadows, yeah. you know. So I, I did appreciate that, that they took something that's supposed to have traumatized this other group of people. And were like, there's nothing here. Yeah, it, it, it's almost the same thing. Like when you're like, there's a you know a monster under my bed. And then your parents come in and they turn the light on, and they're like, "There's no monster." Yeah. It's like, no, you don't understand. Thirty minutes ago, it was howling at me. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I don't like I said, I don't think I've ever seen that done, especially in a 
a ghost house movie because yeah. usually when you go into the ghost house even later there's still You're a fucked. ghost yeah. in the house yeah so there's always that moment at the end where they get snatched and with this one it was like no i did my deed i'm done you guys have fun it's over figure it out um you got any more goods got one more what is it because mine is gonna bleed directly into my first bad <laughs> I tried to figure out how to lay it out, but I can't get away from the one thing that bothers me about this. So this is my my go-to when I don't care for a movie. Is um, it? Could it be? <laughs> Kristen's pretty, pretty, pretty shot. And I, I don't have necessarily pretty shots. <laughs> like, I, I didn't think that the movie was a pretty movie. Yeah. Um, I appreciated... The fact that there were several interesting shots and several different, like, angles. Like, this wasn't, like, paranormal activity where all the cameras are stationary and we're just viewing yeah. it from these stationary, like, Surveillance corner, camera yeah, corner of the room perspectives. Like, there were cameras that were on the walls. There was a camera that one of the characters was literally wearing. There was a camera that one of the characters was carrying. And yeah. then we're intercutting these things that have happened that we see from these different cameras perspectives with the real time, like the cops looking mm-hmm. for stuff. So I like that. Which is very saw three yeah. where it's like the cops are watching the surveillance footage that's going on inside the house, you know? Yeah. So I, I like that there's this play of like different perspectives and different angles and they kind of, I guess, manipulate the world so that you see it the way that they want you to see it. Um, could have been done a bit more effectively for sure and um again we'll get into that in my bads like the in-house cameras were not utilized the way they should have been utilized but i did appreciate that it wasn't just found footage where it was like somebody's carrying a camera and it wasn't just stationary cameras in the house like there was a lot of different points of view to see Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my (laughs) (laughs) you're ready to have fun Ugh, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, because I'm going to do this and then halfway through my explanation of why it's a great thing, explain why it's a bad thing. So down that shit right there, my love, and I'll <laughs> pop you a bottle. Okay, so as we've established on the show, this was produced in part by James Wan. I love James Wan. I love the Saw movies. Growing up, whenever they would come out, Mom would take me to the movie theater and we would watch the new Saw film for like the first five or six. And then she was like, these are getting ridiculous. But like, we, yeah, we watched the first three from Blockbuster where we went over there. We got the little VHS or DVD, whatever it was for that year. And we would pop it in and it would just be me and my mom watching Saw. So if you're wondering where I came from, that's the kind of family I came out of. She got me Helter Skelter when I was 13. I grew up watching Saw films with her in the living room. And she would take me and it would be my mommy's son date to go Mm -hmm. watch Saw in the movie theater. So I love James Wan. And I have seen all of those movies multiple times. I thought that it was nice, though it went too long that they obviously tried to pay homage to the way that Juan shoots films, which is he hits you with a bunch of really quick shots and then breathes. Now, into the bads. They never let it breathe. Nope. That's and my bads. 
homage to Juan is not the only homage. There are so many homages in this film to different directors, and they blend like shit. Yeah, like, they so do sad. not work. There was a Michael Paranormal, Myers one. There was... <laughs> there It was scene after scene of just nothing but you're doing this for the sake of doing this, which is another constant theme that we come up with here on the Two Star Tuesdays. I love that you tried to shoot it like James Wan would shoot it, except Wan came up with those ideas when Wan was making no fucking money, and somebody just handed you 300, or not 300, $3 million, and he had to make Saw in like, two rooms like he, he's like okay i got a bathroom and a hallway how do i do this you know <laughs> and he built his short film and created it and you're trying to recreate that on a three million dollar budget and you lose the entire like desperation of the effect if that makes any sense yeah and um yeah it, i hardcore agree there is no moment to let any of this breathe and that's definitely one of my bads like there's no actual build like you never feel like there's a climax to the movie and there's no resolution really because it's just go 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 yeah. go go the whole time and like you're swapping at such a strange timing between well the, the way the whole movie's shot is like the last 15 minutes of any of the saw films where they just play back and then shoot forward and play yeah. back and shoot forward and, so, yeah, the whole and you movie... never get the dr gordon you know? yeah and the whole movie feels like it never really figured out when it was supposed to be in the present and when it was supposed to be in the past. So it's just like you're leaping back and forth like at such a dizzying pace that it's like, I don't even know what's happened yeah, at this it, point. It took us 45 minutes to establish that the opening credit murders were not the murders the that people. had happened. Yeah. yeah. Like that was that there had been a mom. second murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you don't really get You don't that find sense. out that Michelle's pregnant until like the last 10 minutes of the film. And then you're like, well, that, that seems like a thing that could have gotten addressed crazy early into the movie. Yeah. Uh, she's yeah. pissing. She looks at her pregnancy test. You've established that. You've left me the breadcrumb. Make me forget that she's pregnant. And then bring it up at the end and you've tied a nice little bow, you know? And, and the way they reveal that she's pregnant to me was kind of obnoxious, too. Like, they're interrogating John and you have this whole moment of it's like, well, I don't want anything bad to happen to her. And they're like, well, why not? And there's no, like, I love her. She's my girlfriend. I care yeah. about her. It's like, well, I knocked her up, you know? And She's it's like, pregnant with my baby. <laughs> it seems like such a bizarre time to reveal something so monumental because, you know, I don't, I don't have any kids of my own, but, like, most parents say, like, the love Yet. <laughs> Future Mrs. Bloom. You'll be <laughs> popping them out eight at a time, starting a commune, teaching but, them how to garden. But, okay, to be fair, like, most parents say, like, the love you feel for your children is yeah. a completely different love than anything you'll ever feel in your life, and that may be true. And, you know, I, I to degrade the moment of him being like, I care about my girlfriend is strictly because she's carrying my child. Because they need an out. Like she became pregnant because they needed a way out of the film, but they never went back to the first scenes to fix it. When I wrote the rough draft for the nightmare box, the reason that the nightmare box is still an unread novel is because I fucked up the first act so bad that everything that I need to happen in the end needs to be established in the beginning. And it's a mess. 
And oh, I've I, corrected some of it. I've corrected a lot of it. I just have to tippity-type it back into the computer. But if she's pregnant, tell me. Seven, for example. I know that I only like reference like ten films on this podcast, but seven, the reason for the rage that gets the serial killer Kevin Spacey guy killed is because Brad Pitt's wife is pregnant and, and Brad know. Pitt does not know. Yeah, and the killer who so, killed her yeah. did know. So he <laughs> had all this overwhelming, you killed my wife, and then they hit you with, he didn't know she was pregnant. He kills Spacey, circle completed. Yeah. But the audience knows. Morgan Freeman's character knows. Kevin Spacey fucking knows. Did they tell you? Do they tell the audience that she's pregnant I think before they, that moment? I, I believe so. I thought that I'd was have the to big reveal. Ba- I'd have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch it too, but I thought that was I think was she the... tells Morgan Freeman before she gets killed. I'd have to go back. Yeah, I don't Don't remember. quote me on it, but that's the big, the push over the line moment, is there's a tension in the relationship, but it, it, it plays off this tension at the end of the film. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> I... <laughs> But you have to establish those breadcrumbs early in, as we talked about quite a bit, because we're doing our homework assignment. It's all about plot twists. Well, while we're talking about the fact that she's pregnant and they should have established that early on, there is such a lack of chemistry between all of the collective characters that I don't even God buy... God damn right. I don't even buy that Michelle and John are dating to begin with. No. I've, I've got two, two notes that I'm going to compare this to, as above, so below, and that is... The big one um, is As Above, So Below. We did an episode on it. Go back and watch it, you little horny bastards. <laughs> um, we loved the way that they built those characters individually in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and it's not a long yeah. scene. It's maybe five, ten minutes of Gives the everybody a joke, you know? <laughs> and like, you get a sense of how they relate to each other. Yeah. Like these are the outsiders here, are the you know the ne'er do wells, and you have a little thing to connect to everybody before we go into the tunnel. And then this one, it's like, oh, the bimbo thinks she's the hot chick. Okay, um, the Asian sleeps. The Asian sleeps a lot. <laughs> and like the introduction to John and Michelle is when they're sitting, um, doing like a, a little interview together, and then he realizes that. The ex-boyfriend is going to be a part of the expedition. Sorry. And that's your introduction to these two characters, is my girlfriend isn't honest with me. She's invited her ex-boyfriend along. And then the next time you see these characters is with ex-boyfriend introduced, who's purposely causing tension in their relationship. And he's... Speaking of which, I would have hit that motherfucker (laughs) about 20 different times. And he's openly like, it's clear you're obsessed with her. Because he's almost like, you got a little dick and she doesn't come. Well, like, <laughs> well, go fuck yourself, you dude. You have that weird moment when all these characters finally come together where John is like, it's clear you're still obsessed with her and I think that's pathetic. And then Brian's like, yeah, you're the third dude she's dated and I've known her the entire time. So who's known her longer? So it's like this weird pissing the, contest. For no reason. It never gets anywhere. Yeah, and all you see of Michelle and John's relationship is tension and deceit. So I don't at any point feel like these two characters love or care about each other. Or ever or... have. Yeah. yeah. And like, if I'm locked in a room with an ex and the demons are chasing us, I'm at least going to be like, hey, you know, you used to be cool. <clears throat> like, there's not going to be like, a, 
you know, like we just watched the devil tear apart our friends. Uh, can we establish that, you know, you you were cool once and we had cool moments. These guys hate each other the entire time it's gone. He kidnaps her for some godforsaken reason. Well, I, I mean, like, I, I don't, like, I don't get a sense of they hate each other. It's just indifference between all of these characters. Like the realest moment in the whole movie that feels authentic is when the Asian character says he wants to put a baby in Jules. <laughs> like, that is the realest mo- like moment in the whole thing. He's like, I'd fuck her. He's like, I'm down. Just and, whenever you're ready, love. <laughs> yeah, and other than that, these characters don't feel like any of them are real-world friends yeah. or, like, dating each other in the real world. So it's Do so... they know each other through a college class? Have they grown up around each other? Did they used to be friends, the boyfriend and the ex-boyfriend, and now they're not friends? Like, what, what, what is going on in this group of people? Yeah, it's it's just such bad chemistry and just, like, a couple of extra scenes to develop that and maybe focus a little less on, like, the kind of pointless investigation. Like, spend a little more time with the characters we're supposed to care about and a little less time on the investigation that goes nowhere. Well, I think that maybe the big takeaway from the entirety of the film is if they would have just given any of this just a second to breathe, where it's like, <laughs> contemplate this relationship. Contemplate what's going on in this house. Have a moment of realness. You don't need to jump, 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 jump in endless succession for an hour and a half. You could have made this film in 30 minutes. You <laughs> You could have made it better. Definitely could have made it better. These bastards. What's next, love? Um, speaking of the investigation, uh, who handles an investigation that way? Uh, that's on my list. Uh, um, <laughs> like, it's so sloppy. Like, they never yeah. call in... Who is running the training program for this police department <laughs> is what I have written down. Because I had to pause the movie and explain that's not how you tactically enter with a pistol and a flashlight when the dude went over the barrel of the gun with his flashlight, putting his wrist in front of where the bullets come out of <laughs> to lock into the X. <laughs> well, I, like, none of it's really all that believable. He calls for backup the one single time and i swear it's like five cops that show up it's like nobody there's like one yeah. dude guarding the door and one dude that keeps following him around everywhere and then his it's girlfriend, a mass homicide yeah his girlfriend his girlfriend up. who probably doesn't even work for the police department she's yeah. just an occultist psychiatrist and like there's multiple bodies and then two missing people and then a suspect that they never take into custody yeah and nobody's blanketing the area They're nobody's just like, asking for a lawyer yeah. just like we're gonna start asking you incriminating questions and this is all gonna get thrown out in court like none of it makes sense like that would not real world be handled that way no He's like, uh, my favorite part... And we never show collecting evidence. I didn't, well, I want to get to that, because, like, I didn't write down the black police officer's name, um, but he just walks up at one point, and he's like, we've got three separate prints on that doorknob, and I was like, oh, you could tell with your blind eye? Like, normally that takes powder and, you know, days upon weeks. (laughs) Speaking of the door, I'm going to leap around a bit here. Um, Consistency in the film, like, the cop comes in and mentions, you know, that there are prints on the doorknob. And they're like, yeah, these people tried to escape, but they were locked in from the inside. That's never at any point addressed in this movie. No. That they tried to escape. At one point, they say, we're going to leave, and then 
dickhead Brian's like, We can't leave. Yeah, you'll miss out on everything. So he talks them into saying nobody ever tries to leave the building. They mentioned boarded up windows. I never saw one single boarded up window the whole time. And for some reason, we've gone through multiple days throughout this film. It went from night to day to night to day to night. Yeah, every time they opened up the flap inside of that thing, it was like, it could be 12 noon. It could be 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I have no fucking walked idea. walked outside of the shed and it was daylight. And then yeah. it was night again. And then he mentioned that the driver saw his truck was missing because he went to work for the day and then you see it's daylight again and then it's night again it's like Con- what the fuck the continuity out the ass like, oh, do you want so me to piece bad. this together this isn't a tarantino movie motherfucker it's so <laughs> inconsistent like the stuff that they just say out loud in the movie and then the random shit nobody thought like let's fix this yeah no at all the the, the 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 biggest one was where we had to pause it with the flap wide open and Daylight. Daylight. Straight, Straight daylight. Noon. Yeah, it looks outside. dark as fuck in there. And it's like, you couldn't just interview him outside? Why is he in a tent? Like, what, what are we doing here? He's sitting next to, uh, like, the barnyard, right? Where outside... He's inside the barn. Yeah, but he's got the, the window to the barn outside. And the window to the barn is obviously blacked out. And then they walk through the flap in the tent and it's fucking noon outside and it's like oh this is just like the coffee you know wherever they feed the food to people i can't remember the name crafty crafty (laughs) yeah i i I don't know how they thought that was just gonna i don't maybe they meant to shoot more scenes i don't know how they thought that was just gonna be completely dismissed they tried to escape the windows were boarded up they couldn't get out they were locked in from the inside it's like when when did that happen? When, what happened here? What is going on? Nothing fucking happened in this movie. Uh, but getting back to the uh, other thing that I had for As Above, So Below, because I, 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 I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be right. Well, that's a lesson to learn. Pay attention to your continuity. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the continuity for sure. But the what As Above, So Below did... And what what that one did so right and what this one did so wrong is as above, so below, established the cameras. This film shot from a third-person omnipresence. Sometimes you were right on the chest. Sometimes you were this exalted, you know, God narrator. Sometimes you were, you know, in between and you got these really personal shots. There was no established distance throughout the entire thing. Like, what the fuck is up with killing everybody off camera and then coming right into the deal? Like, what is the established narrative for the audience? That's my biggest, probably bad of this, actually. You take these characters that I'm... I just needed to bang off two of my bads in one go. (laughs) (laughs) You take these characters that I'm assuming I'm supposed to care about. You know, I'm supposed to care about the pregnant girlfriend. I'm supposed to care about John. I'm supposed to care about... Any of these characters on any level and chemistry and continuity and all that aside, like if I barely knew these characters, if they had, cause like stitches is, I guess is kind of similar. Like stitches has like so many characters in this movie and they die in the most ridiculous ways, but they all, for the most part, I think there's maybe one character who died off screen. They all, for the most part, die in these really absurd deaths on screen and every time one of them dies you feel it you're like oh yeah. god that was not how you wanted to go out no, you know saw three another you know the james one well that's is, a, you know, a good movie though i'm talking about ridiculous oh, films okay, cool. 
Like, I'm, I'm talking about where the producer got it right and then his protege over here got it left, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about ridiculous movies where yeah. you may not necessarily super connect with the characters because, like I said, like Stitches is a good example. Like, there are a lot of characters where I was like, oh, I don't really care. I think the, the gay character that was eating the beans, I was kind of like, oh, no, I don't want him to die, you know? But, like, for the most part, the characters in that movie, I didn't really care about. We didn't really, like, establish them or connect with them. But when they die on camera yeah. in such a visceral way you're like oh god damn you know well, it's the, the one that i wanted to get to in particular in saw three is where it's like don't go out that door and he looks through the peephole and there's that 357 magnum on the other side that blows his fucking head off you don't know who that dude is at that point in the movie but you're like holy shit if i wouldn't have been that dude yeah <laughs> i'm like but this movie like i said if even if we didn't have characters that had good chemistry together even if there were continuity issues with the film even if i felt like the story was a little mismatched you know yeah like if the actual because when we watched the trailer like the trailer implies that a good chunk of the movie is kind of this found footage paranormal activity-esque style so and the trailer is very james wan where yeah and and you feel like from watching the trailer that it's a very personal movie and you're going to see this terror that they experience kind of up close and personal. And the reality is the only time you see any of the footage basically from like the night of is from the cop's perspective watching it. Like, and it's like an over the shoulder shot and you see this little screen and like, so when all of the characters die or when weird yeah. shit goes so down. So we're introduced to the dumbbell uh, that's covered in blood. And then the cops walk past it and it's just covered in blood. Yeah. And you don't know what happened. You don't see any of it. You you vaguely see, I think, when um, Donnie gets axed in the back, like, from over the shoulder of a cop as he's watching it on the camera. And, like, it feels so impersonal that the lives and deaths of these characters become meaningless. Period. Yeah. Yeah. You've and, taken away the last thing that you owed them in a horror film. That's your death. Yeah. And, like... It's the reason why Jason's just ripping people's fucking heads off their shoulders. Like, if they have nothing else as characters, they deserve the glorious death. Well, it's <laughs> not even... For me, it's not even a glory thing. I think if, um... From a character perspective, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying going out there and ripping off your neighbor's heads is a good way to go about the world. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, I think um, when you get that personal perspective and you're kind of right there up close, and I'm, I'm a person that hates gory films. Like, I don't yeah. like violence. I, like, I don't mind... You, you won't watch Saw with me. No, like, I don't mind... Um, that is a Brett during the quarantine lunchtime type movie. I don't mind thrillers and like horror movies and stuff like that. I do particularly mind gore. And like, I think um, like the real moment that you connect with a character in a scary movie, especially if the character's kind of a side character that dies early yeah. on, is their death because there's that gripping fear that you're both kind of experiencing together. Like, this is the end. Like, this is how. We're going out. And, like, I, I feel like the fact that they cheated the death scenes in this movie makes these characters meaningless characters. Completely obsolete. Yeah. You didn't know what happened before. You didn't know at the time that you lost them. They just served a purpose for the interview, really. And there have been tons of movies where characters died very early on, like uh, Scream. I almost said scary movie. Um, Scream, they for they instance. They killed out Drew Barrymore. Yeah, like... Yeah. 
one of the biggest stars in the whole movie dies super early on and you I mean they kind of establish her a bit you kind of get this tease back and forth of him and her talking on the phone so she's developed to an extent but she dies so early into the film that you don't truly connect with her character but you still see but without her death that film does nothing well, yeah. <laughs> the film aside, like he's still Craven paying homage to Hitchcock, where he's like, "Oh, I'll kill a leading lady as well." <laughs> well the the rest of the film aside, though, yeah. you still see this moment of this killer, like in the moment with her, terrorizing her. Her like fear is she's trying to get away, and then her ultimate death, and like you're there with her as she's like choking out on her own blood. So like, there's this moment of even like this character that you didn't really get to know, and it's like this is real and this is raw and like what a horrible thing to happen to someone. So I like, even if you have characters that are kind of like side characters that don't matter that much, if you're going to kill them, like make the death meaningful. Well, it's why, um, Aaron, Yu does so well as Chewie in Friday the 13th. He makes you laugh and makes him adorable when he's worshiping the bong. So that even in a Jason Voorhees movie, when Voorhees sticks that screwdriver in his neck, like you're praying during that entire fight that he's going to win. You're like, please give that pothead a chance. And then he just gets done, done, you know? like, And that's just a reboot. Fucking old slasher, you know? It's hack. But... It did a better job of establishing. So, like, if you're writing a character and you have to kill the character, you have to make me care about the character you kill. Like, there shouldn't be characters that serve no purpose of any kind. Ever. No. It's kill your darlings, not kill your, you know, dude who lives in the same town with you and you don't like the way he drives and his farts smell. Like, it's... (laughs) Kill somebody you care about. Kill your darling. I'm down to only two beds left and mine are both kind of dumb. I've got one big one uh, and one small one. I've got two small ones. This whole thing was shot like an episode of CSI. It was kind of, yeah. And uh, these two are all in the one point because if I were going to watch CSI and they were going to introduce a camcorder shot... CSI would probably throw a filter over their main camera that made it just look blurry and then we'd pretend as a big group that that was an established camcorder shot. If you're going to use a camcorder shot, use a fucking camcorder. (laughs) Or use an older camera so that you get like a contrast between the way that things are shot. Don't use your like high-tech shit and then be like, I'm going to go low reg and it just looks blurry and, and nauseating. Paranormal activity credit there. I'm sure they shot on uh, nicer cameras, but it did legit look like just surveillance cameras in the yeah. house. Like it, it... Surveillance cameras were good, but the camcorder at the beginning when they were all like meeting each other and they'd shake it and there'd be like 15 billies on the street because it was trying to catch up. And it's like, that's not what camcorder like the weird, footage looks like. like. Fake static where yeah. it would like, turn on and it'd be like it's like that's not like it wouldn't look that way (laughs) this isn't the 60s like we're not i really i'd have to look into that i really don't think freezing your hard drive fixes your hard drive just (laughs) gonna throw that out there like don't put your hard drive in a freezer like definitely research that first find an asian guy i'm sure aaron Yu is out there fixing computers 
Jump scares. I, I, I lost count. So fucking many. <laughs> so fucking predictable. And didn't make Down any to the point sense. where I was like, they're coming from the left screen, and then bam, the left and screen. And didn't make any sense. <laughs> like, they were so, like, it was just like they were, like, hallucinating these things that, like, the hands reach out from under the bed, but they don't actually grab you. They don't actually touch you. The one and only time physical violence was enacted on someone was when the blonde chick got, like, yanked back yeah. and dragged down the but hall. But that was in the trailer, so we knew that that was coming. Yeah, and, like, other than that, like, it was literally just the demon needed to possess a physical body and then she axed some people up. Like, at no point yep. was the the ethereal ghostly spirits in the house relevant to causing any of these people harm. Like, she needed a body. So Which what brings was the me point? to my... Final bad, the beautiful, the effervescent, the Kristen Pennington. Hit me with it. Uh, that bitch was definitely not pregnant. <laughs> That's my final bad. Um, if John became the demon when he walked into the house, when did John become a demon? Because this bitch is sitting over here with a flat ass tummy, but the baby's able to kick through it, and he became a demon. And he became a demon. 12 hours ago so is she three months pregnant and we just failed to find a pregnant woman in los angeles um and if she was three months pregnant and they did find a flat tummy pregnant woman in los angeles who you can literally see the baby feet kicking out of at what point was john the demon was john the demon these past three months when he impregnated her if this thing jumps into people. Why not just jump into John and walk the fuck off the property? Why do you need to kill all these fucking people? What's hey, the purpose think... that's served? You yeah. want a full life? He's 18. Fucking roll yeah. with it, devil. Think for sure if you were going to possess a person, you wouldn't possess a baby. Like, my impression yeah. was that she was pregnant already, and during the seance when they break the circle, the demon possesses The baby, her. yeah. But for some reason, the demon also has the ability to then possess John at the same time. But if it could so, just possess John and it's just trying to get out of the house, just yeah, take just kill John. everybody because she was tied up and gagged in some random closet. It's like, is that really you want to be born as a helpless baby that can't do anything? But yeah, for sure, she had the flattest stomach on earth for someone yeah. who can fill the baby. She's kicking. still not pregnant enough to like she. She could definitely just take a contraceptive like, pill. <laughs> like, you are full-blown... The devil's trusting this bitch way too much. <laughs> you are full-blown swollen bellied before you're feeling a baby kick. Like, there's... I mean, some people don't get very big when they're pregnant, to be fair, but she had, like, abs. Like, you have got a little, a little baby lump it, if you're feeling some kick Even in. the fittest of women, like, they've got a little bump. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, the absurdity behind that weird closing shot where you see a hand or a foot or something rake across her belly when it's like dude she's got abs like she is not pregnant like if i was the person checking the heartbeat and i was like holy shit you're feeling kicks like what what the like, fuck oh, you can you got see some indigestion going on like what's happening here god damn it we did it my love it we did bad. it we went over time but we did it it was bad it was goddamn terrible. But you know what's in our future? Bacon pickle cheeseburgers? Bacon chicken barbecue cheeseburgers. Chicken? There's not going to be chicken no, on my chicken burger. Chicken barbecue. Bacon. You said bacon chicken. <laughs> bacon barbecue. cheese barbecue <laughs> cheese. I don't know. 
I'm a little drunk. There's bacon pipple. Pip- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pick a pound of peppers, you cunt. You want to fucking get <laughs> bacon, pickle, barbecue, cheeseburgers in my future. Brett doesn't like pickles, though. No, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this ring, and I'm a big fan of... Me, because I'm awesome? You. Um, I'm a big fan of being engaged to you. I can't wait to get married to you once the apocalypse is over. And um, I'm... A big fan of you guys. Yeah. I'm so happy to have uh, you here with me. I, I, I got to watch you um, in the past two or three days listen to the Montana silence at a time where you're not freezing your ass off. <laughs> and you came and got me and you were like, you have to look. It's gold outside. It's golden hour. Yeah. That's and, an actual and thing. And then our neighbors started howling at 8 o'clock. Everybody stood out. It freaked Jacks the fuck out because there was like a whole apartment complex full of people going, ow, 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 ow. losing <laughs> their fucking heads. And I'm, I'm so happy that I get to experience this with you. And I can't wait to see what tomorrow does. And if you guys are out there, and thank you for listening, you know, this far in, but. Um, if you guys are out there and you're a little freaked out right now, just try to take a little moment, you know, five, ten minutes a day, an hour a day, (laughs) fucking howl at the moon, you know, find your way out of it because I love you guys and I love you. I love you. We'll talk to you on Friday. Hurrah!